This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to another episode of Five Out. When you say Five Out, what do you mean by that? Of course, we're talking about The Last Dance, episodes three and four. Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson. Obviously, we got to talk about the Detroit Pistons, too, because they were a pretty big focal point of these last two episodes. In the course of it all, they talk about the Celtics a little bit and what they did in 88. And then I noticed John Jennings, who used to be an assistant coach for the Celtics, was a scout for them back in 88, and he served a bunch of different roles. So he went on Twitter and tried to set the record straight about what the Celtics did when the Pistons beat them in the Eastern Conference Finals back in 88. So I talked to him for a little bit, and if you look at the timestamps in the episode, you'll see that I marked off when exactly that conversation was in case you guys want to skip ahead to that. Got a couple other little things you want to get to as well. If you haven't already, you can leave a rating review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you guys listen to the show. We're also available on Google Play, Radio.com, of course, WEI.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at 5OutPod. And let's get it going. I'm just trying to be alright with it, yeah I'm just trying to be alright with it, yeah. I'm just trying to see the light in it I think we should take a ride with it I'm just trying to spend the night with it, yeah I just want to be alright with it, yeah Matt, you know that I love the little things in basketball Especially rebounding, one of the things, obviously All the, all the little stuff that doesn't get enough love I have never, ever in my life heard someone talk about rebounding like Dennis Rodman did. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, no. And I think that one of the coolest things was when he's talking about, like he'd have his buddies just come in and get up shots and he would just practice on rebounding. And then him just talk about 
you know, he knew the rotation of everybody shot, whether he played against them or played with them. Like he knew Jordan's rotation. He talked to like Larry Bird, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, then when you look at the stats and the guy has like over 160 or he had like a close to 160 games of 20 plus rebounds. I mean, says it all right there. I, I, I just, yeah, he's not the greatest talker and he does a lot of weird shit, but the man's a basketball savant and he understands the game and, like you said, that's a complete psycho move to bring in your buddies and just in an open gym, just rebound and like try and figure out like the best positioning on the court for that type of stuff. Like the dude's a psycho, legit, but he is incredibly smart when it comes to basketball. Can't really speak very well. So he didn't really convey what he was saying, but all that stuff is going probably a million miles an hour up in his head. <clears throat> and he, like you said, he, like DeAndre Jordan probably is what the best, Probably one of the best, if not the best, rebounder of like what the last ten years, probably mm-hmm. in terms of stats and production, he yeah. blows DeAndre Jordan out of the water by far. It, he is so good at that, it's unbelievable, and he's a lockdown defender too on the ball. So after his so his first year, he only averaged four point three rebounds a game. He was playing fifteen minutes a night. Next year, eight point seven, then nine point four, then nine point seven, then from ninety ninety one until. He retired after the 99-2000 season. He averaged minimum 11.2 rebounds per game for, for the, over the course of a season. He led the league in rebounding from 91-92 to 97-98. And his lowest rebounding average during that stretch was 14.9 per game. I mean, just like, like Ty brought up DeAndre Jordan. Like, and why is DeAndre Jordan... Like, like for the last whatever a couple of years, been one of the best rebounders, or like a guy like Andre Drummond. Well, it's pretty simple. Like they're all athletic. They're seven feet tall. Most of the time now in today's game, no one really crashes the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. Um, what Dennis Rodman did back in the '90s and whatever, I mean, I guess you could say '80s too, um, late '80s, is incredible. Yeah, but, and the reason why he's such a great rebounder is. It wasn't just because he was an athletic freak, because he was an athletic freak, but he just had he had that determination, he had that mindset. Like he literally was a psycho. Like if I threw up a shot, and there was like a hundred guys, we do this drill at our at our basketball training thing. Shout out to Buddha. It's called ha- hamburger rebounding. It literally is like you just put eight, you just put like whatever. We say we have twenty kids, maybe we split them up, maybe we don't. We all put them at a basket. You have to shoot. We just have people like uh, me and the coaches. We shoot the ball. You got to go get the rebound out of all those guys in there. It's a stupid. Mm-hmm. It's it's really, if you think about it, it's a dumb drill, but it's really a toughness <laughs> drill and like an effort drill. Like you have to, so you have to get two rebounds. If you get two rebounds, you get out and mm-hmm. you don't want to be like, if you're in this drill, you don't, you look like an asshole if you're the last one left. Well, you, you honestly, I you just reminded me of the one of the drills we used to do. It must have been junior year because I remember Josh's brother was in the drill where we would have we guys would just be in a line, and then one, the, you know, coach would take a shot or somebody would be taking a shot, and then you'd have one guy who'd have to box out, and then the other person could get somewhat of a running start, and you had to box them out and you had to hit them, and if you didn't get whoever got the rebound goes to the end of the line and that's a good thing and whoever doesn't has to stay so some guys would suck and they wouldn't box oh, out or they keep going and keep going you, you yeah. remember that drill yes I, I mean i loved it because i never struggled in it whatsoever but i mean <laughs> looking at what rodman did i just i i, I it's so different and i feel like that people would be would their time would be much better spent 
just trying to at least understand the angles a little bit. Forget, the, I mean, the spin stuff's impossible. You can't do that like the high school level or yeah. anything like that. But well, Ty, did IU ever do any like any decent rebounding drills? Um, yeah, I mean, we had everyone ha- at every level has like the bubble you put on top of the hoop. You know, it's got like different like bubbles on top, and then it just automatically misses the shot and it bounces in weird directions. Did you guys ever have the bubble on top of no. the hoop? I didn't. Really? It's basically like this plastic like shell that goes on top of the, the rim and he places it on and that way it doesn't allow any yep. makes and yep. it and it makes the ball ricochet to like weird spots on the court. And See, there was rebounding like, drills. And there there was one I remember where Cody Zeller had like a two rebound game or whatever and Co- and uh Tom Cream was super pissed and uh he decided to take like the senior video guy and he was like kind of like a weightlifter or whatever. And he put him on Cody Zeller and told him, like, do not let Cody get a rebound this entire practice and, like, fight him if you have to. Literally fight him. And they actually got into a fist fight in practice, Cody Zeller and Mike Santa, like, the, the video guy, because they were just getting, like you said, Matt, it was a toughness drill. Coaches do this yep. shit. It doesn't have anything to do with the game. But it, nope. you're trying to, like, send a message to a player, like, you need to toughen your ass up. And this was one of those drills. Can't remember exactly what happened, but. It resulted in literally Mike Santa and Cody Zeller on the floor tussling for a rebound. So drills like that, I mean, everyone's got and I, and yeah. a toughness drill or the bubble something. Jesus. No, it's, I'm, I've never heard of that, but that's pretty cool. Um, I was going to say, like, to add on to that, like, what, like, when Nick, when you talk about, like, how Dennis really broke it down, mm-hmm. that, that shows why he's the best ever do rebound. He's the best rebounder ever. Because not only was he crazy – and he had that mindset. He was tough. You know, you would never win a rebound, uh, rebounding drill against him. But he also had, like, a method to his madness. It wasn't just, like, he's crazy, right? You know, there was, right. some, there was something going up in his brain that made him realize, you know, where the ball was going to bounce, how it was going to hit the rim, like, stuff like that. So I, I, was, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then just everything about the Dennis Rodman story was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do want to touch on that I was – yeah. No, no, he, he's yeah, – I mean, he, awesome. there's, there's some – so he actually ranks 23rd all-time in total rebounds. I was just looking it up. Uh, 11,954. I don't know where he is in terms of rebounds per game, but I'll check Still that Still the second. best to ever do it. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with some of the guys. Like, you, see, you, you said it before with DeAndre Jordan to bring it back to that. I mean, so he averaged – and he was playing off the bench most of the year. He averaged 10 rebounds a game while playing 22 minutes a night. But he's always averaged double-digit double, double, uh, double digit rebounds since 2013-14. And even before that, he was, you know, 7, 8, th- uh, 7 again. So, I mean, he's – you know, he does that. That's his role. But, yeah, that's the thing about Rodman is I did not know – I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't know. But I did not know that he was – that smart and that calculated when he came to it and he was such a great athlete you just figured it's an athlete and hustle and that's all he does but there's yeah. so much studying done and it's just so natural and that's what makes some of these older guys too like when so as i tease in the intro i talked to uh, john jennings former celtics coach and actually he was tie at iu under uh bob knight he had the same role as you did ty i don't know if you knew that uh, i didn't tell you but um but he before he ended up coaching uh, with or working with the Pacers and then coaching with the Celtics and everything. But he said that Larry Bird, spoiler alert, was someone else who was kind of like that in terms of studying rebounding. But it makes a little more sense because Larry didn't have the same. You know, I feel like jumping I feel ability. like I feel like I if you played in like the '90s, even the early 2000s, if you were a good rebounder or a dominant rebounder, I feel like 
that holds more weight for me than re- like like Drummond or any of these dudes that now that lead the league in rebound. Because now when I watch games, like, you know, when Westbrook and, and LeBron get triple doubles, like the 10 rebounds they get are like uncontested rebounds. You go watch the videos of Rodman getting rebounds. There is no uncontested. There's barely any uncontested rebounds. Everything's yeah, yeah. contested. And he's fighting so, till the last play, in the last minute, yeah. last second. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I have a hard time being like, you know, like you said, you know, where he ranks rebound. I just to watch like what he does and, and you know, his mindset going to, I, I would put him up there with, you know, I think he's the best. And then obviously maybe like a guy like Barkley, um, you know, ranking it. But I saw a picture of like who would get this rebound or something like that. Did you see that where people are all getting all pissed off and like, cause I they threw not. Draymond in there. Like, you know, get, get out of here. Let's Dude, do no a hamburger drill with all, it was like, I'd have to find the picture. It was like Rodman, um, Charles Barkley, well, KG. Um, I can't remember. There's, there was five guys. I don't remember who the fourth was off the top of my head, but KG was in there and Draymond. And there was mm-hmm. one other guy, but it doesn't matter. Well, I don't know why Draymond was in that goddamn picture. I really don't. No, it I don't know. It pissed me off. Let's do the hamburger drill. I guarantee he finishes last every time. Yeah, by the way, for for anybody who's wondering, Rodman ranks 11th all-time in rebounds per game. He's just behind Elgin Baylor and Dave Cowens. The only guy who, who currently plays who's in the top 10 right now is Andre Drummond at 13.84 per game. I'm looking at a land of basketball for this. Will Chamberlain's all-time with 22.89, but and then Bill Russell's right behind him with 22.45. I did not know that's how many Bill Russell. I'll take Rodman any day over Drummond. Uh, yeah, I would too. But uh, – the thing with, I mean, obviously there's a lot, like you said, man, there's a lot with Drummond. There's is the, I did not know about what happened to him and how things ended in Detroit. I knew he was a wild man. I didn't even know he was kind of tame prior to uh, leaving Detroit. Aside from that incident, I know there were issues. Well, but- and, and I feel like I, the reason I knew he was tame was because if you watch the, um, the bad boys, 30 for 30, mm. he's obviously on the Pistons and he, you, I was like at first. I when the first time I watched it, I, I was like, "Oh my god, that's that's Dennis Rodman." <laughs> yeah, he didn't have the the, the no. dyed hair or the. He was earrings. like normal, but I think Chuck Daly was a big influence on him. And and it, at, watching that, like watching him play on the Pistons, and um, can't remember who said it. who said it in the Michael Jordan documentary. He said he's the best on ball defender I've ever seen. Oh, sh- was it? It wasn't worthy, was it? No, it wasn't worthy. No, it wasn't. I can't remember who it was, but anyway, <sighs> if you go watch that thirty for thirty, that guy isn't too far off because he was he disrupted everything. He was amazing. So Ty, when when you look back at at Rodman, I mean, honestly, I I, I love Scotty, and I know Rodman had has a lot of messy shit that went on in in his uh, his past, but in terms of how he plays the game, he might be the guy I enjoy the most. When you look at when you look back on it though, and how Bulls fans perceive him, I mean, as a Bulls fan yourself, did you do you love Rodman or do you have mixed feelings because of the Bad Boy Pistons too? Uh, I was a little too young to have any bad feelings towards him, and he was kind of like the goofy, like likable. I mean, I was like probably five, six years old during like the last years of the run, and like the even the post uh, Bulls dynasty. Rodman was still, like, always in the news. Like, he was dating Carmen Electra and, like, just doing, like, crazy stuff. He had an MTV show, which people forgot about. I, think, I did not yes, remember that. I think it was called Rodman's World Tour. <laughs> That's like, amazing. M- I didn't know that. While, while he was on the Bulls. 
I need yeah, that on I Netflix. Know that. I, need I, that. I think I, that's I've where some it. of that Vegas footage, some of the Vegas footage, yes. I think may have come from the MTV show. Uh, like, wh- where, why were there cameras with Rodman in Vegas? I like, I would just, watch I I'd watch a documentary series on Rodman just in forty eight whatever like what was it like seventy two hours he was in Vegas wherever the hell he was in Vegas yeah. for however long I'd watch that I would I need to watch it I never watched the thirty for thirty that came out did you guys end up watching that ever the Rodman one no 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 yeah that one's still out there that one's still out there we gotta we gotta watch that one but yeah he's I mean I honestly if they threw that I need them to throw that on Netflix right now I need to see the Rodman. Uh, what was it? The the show? Uh, I think it was called Rodman's World Tour. I'm, Rodman's World. He's Tour. definitely an MTV show. I may be totally butchering the title, but I think that's, that's fine. I mean, it was it was years ago. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it was a thing. Um. So, but anyways, that was yeah, obviously the Rodman World Tour. The Rodman World Tour, and that was MTV. Jeez. But that's. Yeah, I mean, that's just episodes, one ninety-six season. That's just and that's just one thing in in all this. Too. I mean, there's so there was so much with him, and then you know what was funny too. Speaking of the Vegas thing, we so MJ is the one that tells the whole story about how he ended up going to Vegas. By the way, Carmen Electra, I think she looks better than she did when she was in Starskin Hutch. I yeah, was she still that. looks good. <laughs> she, I mean, that movie came She's out. Gotta be like fifty five, but she still looks good. No, Rodman was with Madonna too. Like when Madonna looked good, that was it was crazy. Rodman's a beast. He, yeah. I don't know off the floor. <laughs> um, but when he, when MJ starts talking about the, uh, what was it, the Vegas story, we had gotten a little bit of a preview, but we saw that the the phone was handed over to Scotty, to Rodman, and to uh, and to Phil Jackson, and it seemed I thought what I thought was interesting about that was with with Michael, he's just telling the story. He's not really hesitating. He's saying whatever he wants. And Rodman's like kind of squirming the whole time. And I, I, was just, I guess they hadn't, it seemed to me like that was something that they were told to not talk about, never bring it up. You saw reporters <laughs> tweeting stuff out. And then Michael's out here just saying whatever the hell he wants. It doesn't matter that it's been a secret for whatever, 20 plus years or something like that. Yeah. Jordan put a couple of people on blast last episode. And like that dude and his, Cheating on his wife. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Scott Burrell. Yeah. Said that he's would... an alcoholic. He's like, my mom and dad are gonna watch this. He's like, he's out <laughs> partying every night, cheating on his wife. You know. Yeah, that was so. So I mean, he so Crazy. he was married at that time, Ty. I did not realize that. That's where I was confused. It, it, may, it may have been a girl, but he was definitely not being faithful. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. 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 That that that, that was that much was it. That's what it sounded like. Um. But yeah, that that was that was something else. The the Phil Jackson stuff too. I mean, they never explicitly said that those two did any like drugs together. But it seemed like everybody. Was it might have like, ha- It might have happened in the office one or two times. <laughs> it really felt like it did. I mean, that, <laughs> and honestly, I mean, Phil Jackson. You look at the greatest basketball coaches of all time, Ty. It's Red won what nine? I think it was as a coach, and then Phil won eleven. I mean, I know he had Kobe and MJ, but to think that guy was on drugs maybe a portion of that time, and then he goes and wins as many titles as he did. I mean, that that's Bulls legend right there. And he wasn't a bad player either. Like, they kind of started, like, when they built up his character in the show, like, they showed, like, he played for the Knicks, they won a title, mm-hmm. and they've been shit ever since he left the Knicks. But yep. he wasn't a bad player either. And is, is there a debate about the best coach of all time, or does he still just get it? It could be a debate. Is, is Red, you could, is Red you could legit bet, still in there? You could. I would still put Red in there. 
See, I mean, the, the problem that I have with Phil is this. He is, I, I easily think he is top three. Like, wherever you want to put him, he's definitely top three. I could I could hear our arguments. He's, but, top, he's top two. He's not, I don't think that's a, a debate. He's okay, top, top two. two. He's top two, whatever. Is My, Pat Riley your three? The re, the re, yeah. yeah. The reason, the reason I can Boylan. see why, why you can put somebody over him if you wanted to put Red is the fact that he did have <laughs> MJ – Kobe, Shaq, Pippen, Kobe again. Yeah, those are like I mean, he had great plays, but obviously, what's what I admire about him watching all this stuff is he is amazing at. Doesn't he have to be like to try? You could talk triangle offense with me. That's fine. Like, yeah, that that was that was you know, whatever he did. He did what he had to do to put people in the right places, but he really understood how to deal with people, mm-hmm. and he really understood how to deal with egos, and he really understand how to deal with superstars. And I think that that says a lot because at that yeah. level, that's what you're really dealing with. I think with head coaches and, and, and managers and anybody in that type of position, that's something that's just so underrated. You deal with you'll deal with a guy who might be a, maybe he's a good coach where he can go and convey these things like text. Right. He, he has all these different the triangle offense and everything like that. But you can only it's only going to be so good when you can't necessarily work with people effectively um so yeah i mean that's that's the thing about jackson the only thing about now you have that that going for jackson where he had kobe and he had mj and then and of course shaq and pippen in all of this but the other thing is red was with one team the entire time and everybody always wants to knock that one era even though the Celtics one was at like eight in a row 11 out of 13 when russell was there two of them when he when he was coach but then you also look at Red as the executive. I mean, that that's the other thing. I, I would say, like, great all-around basketball guy, I'd probably be more inclined to give it to Red above everybody else that wasn't ever a player. And then maybe give – I don't know. Even then, I have a tough time giving it to Phil's coach. Is, what, Ty, do you give it to Phil? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear. I, I, I mean, Red won <clears> – <throat> sorry. Red won a bunch of titles when there were six teams making the playoffs. Six. The 1963 playoffs had six teams in it. Still one. Right. How many teams are in the playoffs now? 16. Yeah, and but how many other teams should actually be in the playoffs? It doesn't matter. You still have that many. When you have an increased field, it's that much a chance the top contender never wins. When you, when you increase the field, like there's now one less buy in the NFL playoffs. That makes the top-seeded chance or the, top, the number two-seed chance yeah, the number two seed in the playoffs, their chance to, to win it is so much smaller than ever before because they don't have to buy now. They're playing an extra game. Mm-hmm. They have an increased risk. So when you have a, a bigger field of playoffs in the NBA, Phil Jackson playing with 16 versus Red 6, I think it's very clear he had a much harder challenge. But then, but then like Matt said, Phil had two of the – top 10 players of all time i mean do you i mean do you put shaq in the top 10 conversation of all time you could say three what yes okay again uh, shaq is top 10 there's no doubt about that who's your top 10 then if you're gonna go mr big swinging dick over here instantly listen 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 shaq has to be in the top 10 he is literally the most dom could be yeah he's the most dominant player of all time he's he was a force dude top 10 boom there you go so Shaq's now the most dominant player of all time. Good to know. Okay, yeah, yeah, he is Do- most dominant, I, I physically dominant, yeah. physically he dominant. Not- okay, now we're splitting. Yes. Now we're splitting hairs. Okay, so he, uh, have you ever watched Shaq play? How is he? Now, I've, I've, I have, I have, I have, 
I have worshipped Shaq on here more than anything. I've defended him against your fucking ass when you like to shit on him when it comes to the Shaq-Kobe debate. What are you arguing about then? So no, but I'm what I'm saying is that I, I'm not. I don't jump the gun. I don't have a set top ten on my head right now. It's what MJ- I don't. You don't have to have a set top ten, but you know who's in your top ten. Like like MJ. I'm not trying. To, I'm, like okay, okay. MJ's top ten. Boom. There you go. Shaq is top ten. I, MJ's I top ten. The eight. There you go. Okay, ready? MJ's top ten. Kobe's top ten. Larry's top ten. Magic is top ten. Uh, Bill Russell's in my top ten. Hmm. Who else? Doctor J. Hmm probably in my top 10 so i mean that's what i'm saying it's like there's uh, do i have him over shaq probably hakeem is he in your top 10 how about kareem abdul jabbar lebron dude shaq do you see how but do you see how quickly you say so he's automatically is he top five for you then i'm saying shaq is in my top 10 i don't Hmm. see well you're now you're limiting the numbers now you're top five well i'm not saying i'm saying if someone's in your top shaq has to be in your top 10 there's no doubt i think he's not then there's some Matt, I, I want to make you. I don't. I don't want to make your point for you, but it's, please do. Is it basically like you were questioning whether he was worthy of being in the top ten? Yeah, that's what I thought you were saying. Yeah, Nick. Well, you're like, I mean, he's probably like, it's not for sure. It's not for okay. sure. Okay, gun gun he to is. my head. Yes, Shaq's in my top ten. Okay, right. but okay. I'm I'm I like to think I, I'm not thinking about it all right now in this moment. <laughs> so so then, going back to what we were saying. Phil Jackson had three of the 10 greatest players to ever play yeah. the sport that's, of basketball. That's why I think it's a good argument because your counter argument to Ty saying, I agree with Ty said about Arbach, like, you know, he coached back then. It was like, you know, two teams in the whole league. So, mm-hmm. um, and I agree with your point. I think they're both valid arguments. That's why I said, I don't know if Phil's definite the best coach of all time. He has to be, like you said, in the top two, maybe top you know, that Riley is good, but I don't put, I, no, I don't, I don't, he's not. Yeah. I, I would say, I would say Phil and red are just in, in, in a league of their own, mm-hmm. but those are the first you, three guys that come to come to your head for sure. That's, that's yeah. an easy conversation for sure. Um, and then the uh, other thing too, that is difficult. Obviously <laughs> I, I'm just throwing this in there too. Like, you know, are you debating best basketball NBA coaches of all time? Or are you saying best basketball coaches? Cause then you could put in different guys. You Larry know, Brown. I've, Larry, yeah, Larry Brown's <laughs> got to be in there. Then, because then you could put Wooden, you could put, you know, Coach K. You could, right. I mean, you could throw a whole bunch of stuff in there. But I, I do believe that those two are at the top. You know, tier. if we're talking all of them, Patino is probably my number one guy. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he is a lot. <laughs> I'm for, for other being, reasons. Yeah, uh, but obviously the the other big thing in all this too is how much the Pistons are highlighted. And I really, it's interesting how much in the course of this, there's been a lot of talk of passing of the torch from Michael I mean, from magic and Larry to Michael Jordan. And then of course the Pistons are the one that fuck everything up in the course of it all. And, and we talked to, you know, I talked to John Jennings about it a little bit and we'll, we'll play the audio for you guys in a sec, but I'm, I'm curious when you guys look at those, the, the group that we heard from, and obviously, I mean, the way Michael talks about Isaiah, Matt, Holy shit. Yeah. I love that stuff. Listen, he made the the best point he made was like you don't have to show me any video of what he was saying. <laughs> the fact that he knew that Isaiah was coming with some bullshit was the best part. He's like, I don't care what you show me, that's not going to change my mind that he's an asshole. Because Isaiah Thomas was a great player, but right. there is I don't care what you have to say. What he did and that whole Bills team, I mean Pistons team, when they walked by the Bulls, I was saying to the Bulls team, 
Um, what they did to them is so disrespectful. It's not even – I mean, the fact that Jordan lost and the way Jordan explained when he lost how he felt, but he still was man enough to go up, and it's a respect thing, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you yeah. tell, you know, congrats and good luck, you know? But it hurts, and it hurts in that moment. And I, and I, Everything he was saying I truly believe in, and it's sportsmanship. Like, when a dude that's that competitive can say that, this is a lot about Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, real quick before I, I have a question for you, Todd, but real quick, I was just thinking over while you were talking about my top 10. I was like, why would I ever say that about Shaq and throw out the disclaimer? I always have thought he was a top 10 guy. It's fucking stupid. I, I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's, let's blame the quarantine. I, on I that. apologize to everybody. No, that was stupid. I love Shaq. I mean, that's so dumb, even though he's a big Joe Exotic guy. Uh, but <laughs> Ty, when you the I remember never liking Isaiah Thomas growing up. I, I never knew why, but I, I think it was just. I didn't like his it. Was face. Larry? I didn't. I didn't even know that oh, stuff. Like I, I just liked it was him. Before. Down to you. No, I found. I mean, I found that out eventually. But he always just had that look, like he was kind of a snake. Like he's he smiling. But when, when did you? I mean, did you know as a Bulls fan, like that he was kind of a dick? Yes and no. But what's weird is like I kind of knew him more as like an Indiana Hoosier and like a WNBA coach. Like growing up, like he was like the New York Liberty coach. I didn't really know him much from his playing days. Like he was, I'm a little too young for that. I don't really remember much as a player, but he was damn fucking good as a player. Like people don't really credit him a whole lot. And like, there's a lot of credible people saying he's the best small guard of all time in the NBA, which I think is a, I don't know if it's crazy no, it's, to say it. I don't, I don't think, know who I don't think else it's, would listen, be there. I don't, anything like Ty, you say about like anything you're saying about Isaiah being a top, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that argument. Like he, he is. He was, he was nasty. He was nasty. And they now, I don't think, too. I don't think his talent is that he's won back to back chips. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody, at least I would never take his talent away from him. But the guy's an asshole, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's that says. I don't know. I I judge people off that. Like it's one thing to be a good basketball player, but it's another thing to be an asshole. And like what he did, I don't think could ever be like Michael said. He, he, you can't be forgiven for that. Like that says. I think that shows more of who you are as a person. And that's yeah. why him and Bill Lambert are perfect for each other. Both assholes. Yeah, and Rick Mahorn, too, wasn't an angel and all this. That was the other thing, too. When we hear from the assistant coach, I cannot remember that guy's name. It was not really much, not really important, but he gives us the Jordan rules. And then he's like, oh, you you, you don't let him go baseline. And then you keep him out on the, on the wing, whatever. You force him to his left. And I hear these – he gives us, like, three rules. Like, those were the Jordan that rules. Rod yeah, okay. Yeah, I was like, wait a second. No, okay, the, I'm sure the, those the, the rules. rules were when he but, went to the the best one was whoever said it when he le- when he gets in the air you put him on his back that that, yeah. that was a Jordan rule that was a Jordan rule yeah I, I, somebody asked him a follow up what happens when he go, when he goes baseline and t- you know gets to the rim well then you know Lambier and Mahorn go after him is yeah that's exactly what we all thought it was don't feed us a bunch of bullshit I I don't I mean. I don't know. Ty, did you know you knew about the Jordan Rules growing up, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually uh, bought the Jordan Rules book the, uh, about a year ago, but I never read it. It's by Sam Smith, that Chicago Tribune writer who's actually in The Last Dance. It's all about Jordan. I think Jordan even may have wrote like the foreword or something. But yeah, the Jordan Rules, I always thought it was the way he was officiated. I never thought it was the like basically the game plan the Pistons had in terms of just trying to rough his ass up. I always thought it was the way the rules literally were for Jordan. That's the way I knew it until mm-hmm. I soon found out it was the Pistons. Now you got to read that book. Best time, yep. if any. You guys should read it. It's supposed to be a really damn good book about Jordan. Probably the best one. 
Well, maybe you can let us borrow it after you read it. I would definitely read that shit. Matt's probably looking for something now too because he's been he well once he been, finishes binge watching the season four of The Last Kingdom. I've been, I've been reading uh, Relentless. Who? Uh, yeah, it's on it's on Kindle. Jordan the Jordan Rules by Sam Smith. Uh, I'm reading. I'm reading currently, uh, Nicholas. I'm reading Relentless. It's by Tim Grover, and you know who Tim Grover is. How was that? Well, I just started. It's pretty. It's pretty good so far. It's pretty uh, to the point. Mm-hmm. De- Tim Grover is definitely a very intense man, but mm-hmm. that's why Jordan picked him. Yeah, that's. Did you find that? Like, did you just pick that up, or had you? Yeah. Been um. It? So shout out to our number one listener. He put me on. He Fennis put me on that one. Oh. Nice. A good read. Okay, so that one is I just because I just read Toughness by uh, Jay Billis, so he told me to read that right. next. So relentless from good to great to unstoppable, and yep. uh, gets a four out of five on good Goodreads, three three point three out of five from Barnes and Noble, and then Books a Million, which I've never heard of, gives it a five out of five. So solid. Yeah, it's um, a good book so far. But I would say this is a good point to listen to our interview that we got this week. So John Jennings, like like I said earlier, was a team manager at IU under Bob Knight. So he was Ty like 30 years before you, Ty, which I thought I was was stunned when I saw that. And then he became a scout and a video coordinator for the Pacers. Then he did. Then he had a similar role for the Celtics. Then he became an assistant coach. Then took control of player development. Then he worked in the White House. Then he became a. He was a co-founder, co-owner, a, a team president, and GM. He played all. He wore all those different hats for the Maine Red Claws. And now he is in Maine as the city manager. And he took a few minutes to talk to me about the what he the saw. City manager. Doc- City manager. Is that like the mayor? Is that like the mayor? Kind of, yeah. It's like, um, oh, cool, cool. Did you ever see? Uh, did you ever watch Parks and Rec? No, but I mean, for him to go from basically like a scout and a manager to politics, that's kind of an interesting yeah. career well, path. He had that. I mean, he had some time in the White House too. It was is he's he's lived wow. a quite the interesting life, and he got to you know be on the bench with Larry and and deal with Michael and all this different stuff. So it, I had fun with the interview. Talked a little bit more about the the confusion with the well confusion that was brought on by Isaiah Thomas about how the Celtics walked off in 88, but I'll let you guys listen to it. And we'll, we'll Matt and Ty and I will talk about it afterward. And let's get it going. So I had no idea that Dennis Rodman was fairly normal when he was in Detroit. He seemed like it. I know he had the incident at the end, but it was when he went to the Spurs that, you know, the blonde hair came in. Obviously they, they documented it all pretty well. Is that, is that fair to say that he that people didn't see him as this wild man when he was, was when he was in Detroit. Oh, absolutely. Dennis was as, as I hate to use the word normal because I still think Dennis is normal. He's just, he, he marches to the beat of a different drummer at, at, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not someone who does ear piercings and or, uh, you know, facial piercings and color my hair, but I don't <laughs> honestly consider that to be abnormal or not, you know, so, but Going back to the early, early days with Dennis, I mean, Dennis was was just fantastic. I mean, he, I loved him um, as a basketball player, as a competitor. Uh, what, part of what I did with the Celtics is that I was really focused on defense because of my background with Coach Knight at Indiana. And so 
I just love the way he approached the game. I love the intensity he brought to the game. And of course, you know, a guy who's six, seven, uh, who could rebound the way he did. And he studied the game. He studied the trajectory of the ball. Those are things that honest to goodness, most players don't even imagine. And so I always thought the world of Dennis and still do actually, uh, I think he was a fantastic player. Um, I, I appreciate his, um, the, his eccentric nature. Yeah, I mean, that's, that makes him interesting. But the, and like you said, the, the angles, I've never I, – look, I like Marcus Smart. He's one of my favorite guys to watch in the league. And he, they have you know, similarities in how they go all out. But I've never heard of anybody talk about rebounding like that ever in my life. I mean, is, is there anybody even close to that? And you're – I mean, you've yeah, been – you were in the league. was like that. Larry was? Larry – so Larry was 6'9", but really didn't jump, right? But what he did was he put his body in position. And so a lot of guys, particularly in the modern NBA, you know, they'll just think they can out jump people. There's a science and frankly, an art to rebound. Um, and so Bertie would go, he would again, look at the trajectory of a shot. And oftentimes he would get his own rebound just because of, he could analyze the way where his shot was coming off it if it wasn't going in. So I thought that Larry, Larry is a brilliant, brilliant basketball mind um and but Rodman you know he had that same same way in which he really understood the game um there's a lot of of course athletes who really right. they utilize their athletic ability but I've always been drawn to the guys who think the game like Magic and Larry and Michael I mean Michael I was at Michael's very first professional game in Peoria Illinois it, it was uh I was with the Pacers at the time and I was a low level guy, video coordinator. And I went over to film the game um, for, uh, for the coaching staff. And unbeknownst to me, you know, this guy, Michael Jordan, who of course we all knew from playing uh, at North Carolina, but of course never thought that he'd be what he became, what he ultimately became. I was a kid when Michael was already at his height. I was born, and the year I was born was the year, first year he won. So for me, I've always just known him as Michael Jordan. You knew him as, like you said, Mike Jordan. Um, but real quick, one other thing on, on Rodman that I'm really curious about, because that whole, the, those two episodes were just fascinating, digging into him more, and obviously he's had the 30 for 30. When he kind of had this change in personality or, or blossoming, I guess, was there a sense, was there like a shock around the league seeing that? Because like you said, he wasn't that way when he was in Detroit. Dennis went through a lot of personal issues, um, which, you know, the documentary really didn't get, get into the extent of the personal issues. And, and, you know, frankly, I don't think that that's anything that is anybody's business, but his own. But I know that um, just from hearing from others, people that knew Dennis, and I mean, I'm not saying that I knew Dennis and met him many, many times and talked with him, but, uh, certainly not any, I would never be considered someone he would ever confide in or anything, but, mm-hmm. uh, I always felt bad for him because of kind of some of the personal things he went through. And the other thing about Dennis is, you know, he had a really tough childhood and right. I, I grew up without a dad as well. And so, um, you know, I think Dennis just loved Chuck Daly, uh, and, and I, and I think that that whole, all of the uh, turmoil 
that he was going through, I think just caused him to, to have a lot of issues. Um, mm -hmm. But, but again, you know, <clears throat> watching this documentary brings back so many memories for me because it's literally the it encompasses almost my entire career in the NBA. I started with the Pacers in 1983. I was working for Coach Knight. I was a summer intern in 1983. I was uh, worked for Coach Knight, and of course, in 1984 was the Olympic trials in Bloomington, Indiana. And so I saw this guy, Mike Jordan, at the Olympic trials with Charles Barkley and you know all the other guys that came in. We had, I think there was Coach Knight invited 70 or 80 um, uh, players to come for the trials. And Jordan was phenomenal in the, in the, in the Olympic trials uh, there in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. And then I was at the game in Indianapolis where they uh, played the, um, the professionals. Um, you know, it was at that game as well. So Michael and I are, I think I'm about like four or five months older than him. And, and so I feel like, um, and then I've, of course I coached him for one game in the NBA All-Star uh, game in, back in 1991. So uh, uh. Michael and I have always been friendly. Uh, when I started the Red Claws, I, I um, got the Charlotte team to be one of our <clears throat> partners uh, because of Michael. And so there's, um, <laughs> that's why I love this documentary so much because there's so many things that I actually lived through mm -hmm. um, that are related to this documentary. So you think that they're doing him justice so far and that team justice so far through the first four episodes that we've seen? I, I absolutely do. And, you know, the, the thing about Michael and the thing that if you're a coach or, you know, played or just a fanatical competitor the way I am, I mean, even in my current job, I still look at ways in which, you know, I remember talking to Birdie on the bench his last year and he said, I'll never go into coaching. Absolutely never go into coaching. And I told him, I won't use the language that I, I said to him, but I just basically told him that there was no way in the world that from a competitive standpoint, he was ever going to be able to just put it aside because he thought he was just going down to Florida and fish and, and play golf for the rest of his life. And of course it was when I think it was one year later, he was coaching the Pacers or something. So um, those guys, they're, they're, they're built differently. And mm -hmm. so with Michael, uh, I think this documentary is portraying him exactly the way he is. And, and of course, he's portraying himself exactly. Michael's not ever been someone, at least the times I've been around him, who mixes words. Um, yeah. And so I think it's been a brutally honest documentary um, by, uh, by, by Michael. And I think it portrays the Bulls uh, very well for that time. And we see how there's, in the course of it, there's obviously a link to them and the Celtics, and that's the Pistons. And you talk about the, um, how, how the documentary has been brutally honest, but then there's that uh, discourse, of course, between Michael Jordan and his team, and then the Pistons when Rodman was still there, but it's Isaiah. And I, I mean, growing up a Celtics fan, I knew about, you know, the Pistons were paying the ass, obviously, Lambeer. I mean, you don't have to go far on YouTube to find a, a video of a Celtic throwing, you know, throwing a punch at Lambeer. And obviously, there's the Isaiah comments about Larry back in the day, all these things. And my dad told me about it, too. But when we see we see the, the Pistons, I did not know about the Pistons walking off against the Bulls. I'd never heard that story before. So we see that, 
And then he goes, Isaiah links it back to when the Celtics did it in 88. And that's how obviously I got connected with you as I saw your tweet about how it was different. So what, what is it exactly that went on back in 88 when the Celtics left early? Because we did see the video and we saw Mikhail turn back and talk to Isaiah too. Yeah, usually I don't do Twitter and tweet, but I thought that that was really important to set the record straight. I mean, Isaiah, of course, went to Indiana. Um, he was gone before I uh, went to school at Indiana, but, uh, but I've known him over the years. Um, and what he said was absolutely wrong uh, about the way in which the Celtics, we handled um, our business in 1988. Uh, we were banged up. Walton was, was nowhere to be found. He was really hurt. Kevin was playing hurt. Uh, we were just really banged up. And so we had a tough series with the, uh, with the Pistons. Um, not a lot of love loss at all. In fact, I, I laugh because I think we despised the Pistons much more than, than what the Bulls ever did. But, <laughs> but that's certainly the way the documentary portrays itself. So what was happening is, is that toward the end of the game, I mean, literally seconds left in the game, Casey Jones, who was then the head coach, I was sitting right behind Casey because uh, I was the video coordinator for the team at the time. And we were playing in the Silverdome, which is where the Detroit Lions used to play. And so it's this massive, I mean, it must have been 70,000 people um, at this uh, crucial game six in the Eastern Conference Championship. And you could see people coming to the court. I mean, you knew that they were, com they were coming. And so Casey uh, wanted to get players uh, into the locker room ahead of the crunch of everyone rushing the floor. And of course, the, the Pistons fans, I mean, I don't hold anything against them. I mean, they were excited. The Celtics fans did it in 86. Um, they, they came out on the floor, but we wanted to get, the coaches wanted to get Bird and Mikhail and all those guys into the locker room well ahead. So, you know, Larry's just not one to, to, to go up and pat you on the butt or, or, you know, any of those kind of things. But Kevin is, I mean, Kevin is just a gregarious guy. And so he went up to Isaiah, wished him good luck, but also wanted, wanted him to know that he wanted, um, he wanted them to kick the Lakers ass in the, in the next round, in the, in the finals, which is exactly the way it happened. I mean, I was there. Uh, it was not the Celtics. We did not, tell our players to go off the floor, um, poor sportsmanship. I mean, it was none of the things that Isaiah described in the documentary, unfortunately. It's convenient, I know, 20, 30 years later to use the Celtics as the excuse for what I consider to be bad behavior by the Pistons, but it was not unusual for the Pistons. Now, the only one I will signal, that, uh, signal um, Joe Dumars, uh, who played for the Pistons, one of the cl classiest human beings ever. Uh, but the Pistons, by and large, were just, that's who they were. Um, and so, uh, but from our standpoint, um, the only reason that uh, those players left early was for safety and security of them, and not because we were trying to show up the Pistons. So I imagine league, the league-wide perception was a little bit different back then, too, when you guys did it, as opposed to when the Pistons did it. Well, if you were watching the game, you saw what was happening. Uh, in fact, I, I, you can go to YouTube and actually watch the end of the game. Uh, you know, I'm looking around. I'm 
in my early 20s at the time. I'm looking around at all these people. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be amazing uh, when they come flying out on the court. And then you see Kevin go up to Isaiah. It's not, Isaiah makes it out to be he had to chase Kevin down. That's not true. I mean, all you have to do is look at the interaction. And then, of course, Kevin told us in the locker room afterwards uh, mm -hmm. what he had said to Isaiah. So, so anyway, it's, it, it's all convenient theater and all that stuff. I, what I took exception to it is that it made the Celtics look as if we were poor sportsmen. And that's just absolutely not what that was about. Um, yeah. I certainly would have expected it out of Pistons. But not, certainly not us. <laughs> I, and, and I love, I mean, everybody lo seems to love it too, how there's still this grudge between the Pistons and everybody else. Nobody, nobody likes the Pistons from, from that era. And, I mean, like I said, we, we, we know some of the stories, but are there any, are there any good ones through the years? Or, or actually, what, what was that rivalry really like for you being around it, seeing the guys and how much, I mean, frustration there was between the two teams? Well, there's not a lot of frustration from our standpoint because we always beat them. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, you know. Well, there's no, I mean, the safety was an issue for you guys, though, too, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, but, but, you know, I mean, you've seen the, you've seen the clips of Larry punching the hell out of Lambert, and, mm. and then my favorite was Robert. Robert was the calmest, even-tempered human being I think I've ever been around. So that should tell you what a horrible player Lambert was for, mm -hmm. for to just really cold cock him several times. So, um, but honestly, it's the way the league was that back in those days. You know, the modern game today with us, some of these things I watch. Um, you know, and uh, you know, we're we're going to set out a game because we need to rest ourselves. I mean, we had our players were like pissed at us. I remember Bird. You know, we were trying to manage his minutes. I mean, he told us where to go <laughs> he was yeah. not, he's not going to be his minutes weren't going to manage up until his last year before he retired he was pissed that we were trying to manage his minutes so this idea that guys were taking rest but that was the NBA back in those days it was a much more physical league um, guys played and they played hard um, you look at some of I remember watching Kevin I mean Kevin had the hell beat out of him every game go back and look at the way people defended Kevin McHale, because Kevin to me is the second greatest low post player in the history of the game of basketball. And um, I mean, he was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kareem to me is the, is the best, is right. the greatest. And, um, but, but they would beat the living hell out of Kevin in the post. You couldn't get away with any of that stuff today. Yeah, no, 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 no. The, the clips I see, no, no shot in hell. There's so many things, flagrant fouls, and they're just normal fouls now. I mean, I mean back then, there's no way. Um, but I know you got to get going. I had two more well, quick questions. One was um, the Celtics obviously had the thirty for thirty documentary with uh, the Lakers and everything, and talking about the rivalry from the '80s. And we've seen videos for the years. NBC Sports Boston does a great job with things too. Is there one story or one individual I guess that you think needs to be kind of deserves a 30 for 30 or, or a brief documentary or something like that that we haven't gotten yet well let me, let me back up a little bit on the whole Lakers Celtics rivalry I mean there, it certainly was a rivalry there's no doubt but I, I would say that all of us had grudging respect for mm -hmm. the Lakers 
you know, you couldn't not help but respect the, the Los Angeles Lakers. Jerry West, one of the greatest, um, not only player, but of course, general manager, you had to respect the team that he put together. And then, of course, the players. Magic Johnson is one of the greatest players that ever, ever held a basketball in his hand. But then you kind of go to AC Green. I mean, you go through all of the various players worthy. We were, we were rivals and we were competitors and you wanted to beat the hell out of each other uh, every single game. But it was different with the Lakers than it was with the Pistons. We just couldn't stand the Pistons. Um, we, we actually respected the um, Lakers, but still wanted to kick their ass, right? So, um, but I, I think that there's, um, there's a lot of guys uh, on, um, on that Lakers team that probably would warrant and not just probably the units, you know, Worthy to me is one of those guys that he was difficult. I don't think a lot of people, because we used to play Kevin on him. The matchups, you know, trying to put Bird on Worthy was not a good option, right? So, you know, Kevin would have to play, play Worthy. So, but there were, um, there were a, lot of, a lot of really interesting guys on both teams, to be honest with you, so. So from that era, though, there's definitely some guys that we could look into a little bit more. Huh, that's interesting. Um, the, the last thing that I wanted to leave you off on, too, was um, one of my coworkers is Glenn Ordway. He does the afternoon show. And obviously he called the games back in the day. And when you were with the team, he was, he was color commentary, right? Yeah. Do, do you have any good Glenn stories from back then? Well, it's probably been told before, but um, so Johnny Most was still the play-by-play guy for us when I was there. In fact, I remember uh, Johnny's last year, I used to push him through the airports in his wheelchair at times. And John, Johnny would, didn't like any of us, to be honest with you. I mean, he would just, uh, you young punk, you know, because I was young and, you know, he's giving me hell and giving everybody else hell. But we were, I couldn't tell you what game we were, but it was in the garden. And, um, and Johnny set his pants on fire uh, during the course of a game. And so Johnny was calling the game and a cigarette fell into his, on, onto his pants. He didn't know it and his pants caught on fire. So he had a cup of coffee, doused his pants. The, pan, the coffee was hot, of course, and he's screaming on the on the air now Glenn as soon as that game was over runs down to our locker room with a with a tape and starts playing it for us in the locker room um and uh needless to say there wasn't a dry eye in the locker room I felt bad for Johnny of course but it was one of the funniest damn things uh but the guys, you know, guys used to put those exploding things in his cigarettes and they he'd light up on air and they'd blow up on air and you know, <laughs> there was any number of pranks that were always being pulled and, and uh, Johnny I'm- First thing was the butt of some of those things. But, yeah. I'm just imagining Glenn being so excited to just make fun of Johnny so quick. I, I didn't know Johnny, but I mean, like, just Glenn getting the chance to pick on somebody else because now he gets picked on all the time. He, he takes it. But Oh, he got picked on back in those days. I mean, I, I, I didn't pick on him because, he honestly, he was my senior and still <laughs> is. But, um, but the players would give him hell. He was really close with some of the guys. And uh, I, always, uh, I always loved Glenn. Uh, and still do. I think uh, he he knows basketball, um, and so I always admired that. But 
we'd be on the road and you know particularly when johnny was around i mean there was just all kinds of stuff going on and glenn was usually at the center <laughs> of many of those things so oh, glenn he's a good guy though he's a good guy i'm gonna have to cut all the nice stuff you said about him though john i can't let that go to his head can't let him hear this, but I appreciate you setting aside some time to talk. Be safe in all this, too. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right, so what did you guys think? Uh, Ty, I guess you can start. What did you think of uh, of John's interview? Was What was the number one thing that stood out? Well, of course, me being Glenn's producer, I love that story with Glenn. And <laughs> I, I love the, the Johnny Mo stories. And for some reason, like, Glenn doesn't tell Celtic stories. Like, if <sighs> Glenn... It's unbelievable if you didn't listen to him call the games on radio or didn't know the fun fact that he was Johnny Moe's partner for what, seven, eight years in the mid 90s or mid 80s and 90s, you wouldn't know about it. Like, he doesn't tell stories. Like, you have to push him to tell any story. So, to hear uh, John Jennings go into a story about Johnny Moe dropping the cigarette on his lap and then yeah. spilling the coffee and Glenn, who, Glenn, Glenn is like, you may not think he's funny or you may not like him as a host, but he has a pretty good gauge of what's hilarious and like what's funny to people. Like he has a pretty good radio career. Like he understands what's hilarious. He ran to the locker room with the tape and, and played it for the entire team. And they were all like dying laughing. Yeah. That was hilarious to me. Well, that was really funny. I, I, Gwen playing the tape for Larry Bird and, you know, all these guys in the, at the garden. It, un, that's pretty cool. That was a really cool story. Honestly, I the thing that I loved about it was I can just picture him like scurrying to the locker room and trying to get there as fast as possible. Like, guys, guys, you, you got to listen to this. Oh, my God. Johnny lit himself on fire. It, I just – and I wonder, did he kind of – did John in a way absolve Glenn because of, of allegedly lighting Johnny on fire because that had been the rumor? I know Fourier likes to say that. Yeah, the other one is, you know, Glenn pushed Johnny most down the stairs. That one's still so – that, that, Yes. I cannot so confirm. I can't confirm or deny either of those. So. <laughs> Matt, how did you? Uh, what was the big thing for you from Jennings? I, I, I mean, I guess what I didn't know was the because I did hear in the thirty for thirty that you know Isaiah said, well, it's what the Celtics did to us, which is at the time I'm like thinking to myself, all right, well, I don't really know what he's talking about, but it's probably a cop out because he's an asshole. Um, <laughs> but I thought. Um, I thought yeah. he did a nice job explaining because I never knew why, you know, then I actually went back and watched the YouTube video and like Jennings said, it's pretty spot on. You know, you could tell that they were getting escorted off the court because of safety concerns. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I just thought Isaiah at the time was copping out too, because I don't know. It just, uh, it just doesn't seem right now. Just because you don't like an, your opponent doesn't mean you can't at least shake their hand. You don't have to, you know, do pull a LeBron or someone, you know, all these NBA superstars and like give daps and stuff like that, like right. and, and like kiss each other and stuff like they pretty much do nowadays. But um, it's the it's it's the right thing to do. I yeah. what I honestly do think though, I don't know um, what you guys think. I mean, Isaiah had an interview there today or yesterday on Get Up, and he was mm -hmm. talking about how he still kind of hurt that he was left off the dream team, and he hopes that. You know, he thinks it's not right if they really didn't let him on because MJ and Scotty, you know, that whole Bulls incident. I'm like, you know what? You pissed off MJ, you pissed off Scotty, and Larry Bird hates your guts. That's three of the most important people on the goddamn dream team. Of course you're going to get your ass left off. Yeah, that was one thing that – so, I, you know, I asked John for, like, a, a better idea of just how much the Celtics disliked the Bulls. I knew they disliked him. I – 
I didn't realize that they disliked him as much as um, more so well, than the Lakers, did. because I think as a, I just from hearing from fans from the eighties and everything, everybody hated the Lakers, but it's different. I knew that the Pistons were a pain in the fucking ass too. And it was, it was a different kind of pain in the ass. Um, but even I didn't even need to hear many. I didn't even need to hear a story. Just the way he talked about it, every moment, he, every chance he gets, he's throwing a dig at the Pistons, throwing a dig at Lambeer, and all the, all oh, these yeah. different things. It's just clear as day. Assholes. Exactly. There's a clear like level of disdain there um, towards that group of guys, and uh, it's just it's bizarre to see the Detroit Pistons. I mean, I don't know. You look. I look back at Ben Wallace and all those guys, and I know they had the mouse and the palace and everything, but. I don't know. I just uh, just to think a team from Detroit could piss the world, the you know, <laughs> one sport off that much. I mean, Detroit's usually irrelevant in the world of sports. I, I don't know. That seems strange to me. But it, you get it when you listen to when you listen to John talk about it. We appreciate John for for hanging out and talking. And maybe we'll get some old stories from him again. I mean, he was he was around the league for a while. I mean, he was with the Celtics for a long time. So I'm sure he's got a. Got a few good ones. We'll have to see if we can check in with him again. But we have a couple of other news things that we got to get to before we get rolling. Uh, we will do the. I know we talked about it last time. The all New England like list or whatever. We're going to get to that. But it just seems like the more I look at it, it may be something we do as a bonus episode if the season gets canceled. Some somewhere along the line, we will do that. Though I, I have not forgotten about it or thrown it aside. But there's just so much with the Bulls doc and John Jennings popping up. Two things though, Newsy. So um, Matt, we obviously saw that the um, the NBA is trying to take a step forward in getting you know players back into playing condition. They said as early as May eighth, they're going to be allowed to go at uh, go to training facilities so long as they're in a state that is becoming a little bit more relaxed. I, I mean, like ideally, or meaning Georgia, Texas. If you're in one of those states where you're allowed to train and kind of the stay at home is that what they're called stay at home rules or whatever it is or initiatives or i don't know what it is yep. that's kind of getting taken away do you feel more confident um that we're going to get the this season concluded with the, the nba moving in this direction i don't know it seems like there's a lot of still a lot of things they got to go around um because some states aren't just there um nope. to, to do it so we're and, not and you know it's not like everybody's every state's declining too. I mean, you, the states now the death total is raised up and um, stuff is moving in that direction. So I mean, I'm still I'm still like thinking I I I think sports will come back. I just don't think as as early as some people hope to that they'll come back. Yeah, it's going to be golf's the first one, and then everything else is very much up in the air. Uh, how you feeling about it, Ty? Did you guys hear Woj say that the NBA was fearing that players would like migrate to the states that do have the open gyms? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, come on, it, players are not traveling the country to find an open gym. Like, they have gyms. Most of them have gyms or know someone that has a gym close. Yeah, or can yeah. sneak into the team facilities there. Like, exactly. you're telling me, you're telling me that one of the Celtics right now, Gordon Hayward, couldn't go to the New Balance whatever they call it, the New Balance Center or whatever. Our back center. And get some shots up. Our back center, yes, our back center. He couldn't go there right now if he wanted to and sneak in and get some shots up. They could come I mean, to Westport, Mass. We could just shoot on the outside hoop. I'll rebound for him. Well, t- I, the whole thing with Tatum was that he hadn't – he just got a hoop set up, and he had said that he hadn't touched – he hadn't done anything for a while. Whenever he did his last interview, he hadn't done anything. So I think there was that concern that some guys just – 
So I think some of these guys are taking it more seriously than we would originally have thought. Um, I, think, I mean, the, the problem you run into if some people open, some people don't. I mean, you got to have you got to give every team ample enough time to get get back on their feet and get going. Yeah, I mean, that's the big problem. Facilities. I mean, that's what Hay- Hayward and Canner both said. That I think it was two to three weeks that guys are going to need to get ready. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, I just uh, – I don't feel good about it. I don't – I don't Zion, see it. Zion said he could play now. He could play tomorrow. What's Kids he been savage. doing? Eating cheeseburgers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Eating Popeye's chicken. <laughs> um, the other thing, too, the other bit of news that came out was the G League is gaining some serious steam. I mean, we saw one guy – who was it? A, another UCLA guy, I think it was, or was it the same? I don't remember. But his contract that he's supposed to get with the G League is like six figures, I think. And I, I don't remember seeing G League guys getting that initially. So they're kind of changing the way they're approaching it. So you're seeing top prospects move over to the G League tie. Do you think that um, in five years, college basketball is going to be just like not not a thing of the past, but just obsolete? No, um, I think college basketball will still always thrive, but the bad part about it is like the schools like Kentucky and Duke, UCLA, Michigan State, like these schools are not going to get the five-star, like loaded classes, McDonald's All-Americans. None of the McDonald's All-Americans probably in five, ten years will go to college. Why? Like what's his name? Jalen Jones is is the one kid from the G League is not going to college now. And he's getting a full ride for college, what, $150,000 and a million dollar package. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you go to college? You can get better development and coaching probably in the G League than you would in college. You're definitely more time to work with coaches. All you're doing is basketball. You're learning from the spe- – I don't know the exact details of this program they're doing, but it seems like you're doing – you're living a different life than the actual G League players are. Like, you're treated like royalty even though you're not in the NBA yet. Like they're getting, now, they're only playing yeah. like ten games in the entire season or something like that for a million dollars. Like it's ridiculous. And Ty, like to go and and they're getting paid. So, but yeah. my question, my question is, I don't know if either of you know this. Um, when they get signed by a G League team, are they on that team or then they then go to get drafted the next year? How does that work? Well, it seems like they're going to be part of a different team than the other ones. Like, I don't think anybody's playing for the main Red Claws or the, 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 is it the Santa Cruz Warriors or anything like that. I think – or the Windy City. They're just like a different. random team. They're all on the same team. Yeah, I think like they the, actually – Like the G League Select or something like that. You know? mm-hmm. And I think okay. – weren't they talking about doing it out of Kobe Bryant's like Mamba facility too? Wasn't that something that got brought up in the course of it? I have no idea. I I okay. I just I wanted to know more. I didn't know if you guys knew. Like I, so they're not on a, a actual organization. They're just getting signed to do this kind of program, and then they're getting paid a good amount of money, and then they're gonna get drafted. Yeah, that's what that's what. It's, yeah, exactly. That's what it seems well, like. Uh, why the hell go to college? Yeah, and if there's if I mean you get that kind of money, you can pay for your college and then something and save money. If you're getting three hundred k, like Shams reported for one guy, so. Why did the NBA do this? Did they, did they do this all because of Lamelo Ball? Mm. Who else went overseas and got major money? Like Brandon Jennings, fifteen years ago, got a million dollars to go to China. Okay, good. But yeah. Like, who else doesn't doesn't go to college, goes overseas for the year and makes their big payday, and then comes back and goes to the NBA draft? That doesn't happen. Like, so it only happened to R.J. Barrett and Lamelo Ball. 
Yeah, or, 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 not RJ Barrett. RJ, RJ Hampton, Hampton, right? Yeah, but yeah. The, but the thing with the, with Lamelo too is he bought the team that he was playing for, so I think that's part of the issue. And then I think just the overall perception of the NCAA, everybody everybody gets so freaking pissed off about it in the way that they you know they treat their players and different things. I think they just started looking at it as guys are coming in at 18 years old, at 19 years old. Anyways, why not just why why don't we just set some system up? where it's more effective and then we can turn them into more refined players and have them a little bit more under a microscope uh, in, in that sense, as opposed to at the college ranks. I don't know. That's the only logical reason I can find other than the LaMelo stuff. It is, it is strange though, but I'm not, I mean, are you stunned by it though, Ty? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the NBA wants to get their hands on young talent. I mean, they, the NBA basically handpicks these, USA basketball teams and it's not just the men's national team that goes and plays the Olympics with LeBron and Carmelo and all of them like they they pick the NBA advisors pick like the under like 16 teams and under 18 teams like so they scout these guys for a quite a long time so I mean to me it just seems it makes too much sense to not do something like this when I mean you could at one point draft guys out of high school but we've also seen it where it comes and then it goes so I don't know. Maybe this is just an experiment for right now. Maybe these guys walk, the players walk away from this and like, you know what? I hated this experience and they don't know what college life is like. Any of these guys that do it. So maybe they walk away from it. They hear their buddies like it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really curious what the college product is going to look like in, in five years. And if like, if you guys are going to love it, like you have forever, um, and, it, and if it'll be this, it, 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 will it be more refined? Will you see guys staying there for four years now instead of, you know, a bunch of one and dones? Because you would think, right, all the one and dones will go to the to the G League now. Yeah, Cal Parry's sweating somewhere right now. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's going to be done. Might yeah. as well go to the NBA now. Yeah, NBA or maybe even find a role in the G League or somewhere, something in that capacity. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. There are, there are coaches that are going to be screwed. Damn, Calvary, Bill Self, mm-hmm. well, all the guy, all the guys that cheat, Coach K, all the guys that don't actually, co- well, Coach K actually coaches, but um, and and coach, cheats, they, they all cheat, they all pay, <laughs> they all pay top players, exactly. You'll still get the top guys, it's just not going to be the same, and it's just if you can't develop a guy, then you're which a- makes which makes March Madness that much better. That should actually but, make it a lot better. It will make it better in the sense of, but I, I agree with Ty, like. What you do want, what you, what college basketball still needs though, is are those superstars like Zion? Like Zion, you would have yeah. never seen a Zion go to college. Like, you, you are gonna miss that element of it. You would have never saw Kevin Durant at Texas. Exactly. Like you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna miss that element of having the top five players in the country, you know, playing college basketball, which is, I think is an awesome thing. But mm-hmm. um, it's gonna, that, it's, that it's it. the NCAA is no, gonna have to no adjust. John Wall, no Anthony Davis, no Boogie Cousins, yeah. like all those Kentucky teams never happen ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, this G League select team program, I don't know the, the entire details, but it might only be what 10 kids per year for the team, so that's not a whole lot for college basketball. I it, those kids might not even turn out to be anything, but it's gonna take the top talent away from the game, and that kind of sucks at the end of the day, so. Yeah, it does. That's why. That's why. Like, when what does this evolve into in five, ten years? I mean, I don't think any other sports gonna necessarily. I don't think you can do this really with most other sports. I mean, baseball already is what it is. Football, I have a hard time imagining they'd ever do something like this. They don't have anything close to a minor league system. So, basketball is really the only one. But it's uh, it's a a, a bizarre development, but an interesting one either way. Uh, Before we get going, 
uh, Ty, you first. Do you have any anything else that we missed? No. You're good. All right, really. Matt. I'm good. Nope. Just can't wait till Sunday. It's the only thing that keeps me going. We will talk to you all again next week. What it do, baby? Yeah, you already know. I'm just trying to be all right with it. Yeah. I'm just trying to be all right with it. Yeah. I'm just trying to see the light in it. I think we should take a ride with it. Yeah. I'm just trying to spend the night with it. Yeah. I just want to be all right with it. I'm just trying to see the light in it. I think we should take a ride with it. Hey, I got no resolutions. I'm just hoping for some. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.